Welcome to Photoactive, a podcast about photography and the Apple ecosystem. I'm Kirk McElhern. I'm Jeff Carlson. You can find show notes, including any photos we discuss in this episode at photoactive.co. That's photoactive.co. We couldn't afford the M. A couple of months ago, I wrote an article about an app that works as an extension to Apple's photos. And Nick Bott, who is our guest today um, from Gentleman Coders, the company that develops the Raw Power app, um, wrapped me on my knuckles with a virtual ruler because I had made a mistake. And it turns out that Nick has written a very long article for tidbits about using Apple Photos extensions. And we wanted to get Nick on to discuss how they work, because this really isn't simple. Nick, thanks for joining us again. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me. So here's the situation. We're, we're just focusing on Apple Photos, right? We're not talking about Lightroom or anything else. And you've got your photos in Apple Photos, and you want to make some edits to them. But you know that there are other apps that might have more interesting editing tools. And we've talked recently about Pixelmator and Luminar. They have machine learning and AI and automation and all that sort of stuff. But you don't want the edits you make to mess up your photos. You, you want to be able to come back and undo the edits. And in an ideal world, you want to be able to go back into the other app and retweak the edits. So Apple Photos has a system where you can use uh, editing apps as extensions. And first, let's discuss non-destructive editing. Um, we all know... That, for instance, if you shoot raw and you edit, you keep the raw file and you can undo your edits and you can make a JPEG and it's non-destructive. If, you, if you're doing it on a JPEG, it, you can eventually revert to the original depending on which app you're using, um, but it is destructive. So what's the difference between destructive and non-destructive editing? So as you mentioned, non-destructive editing lets you go back in time easily and either undo your changes, go back to the original, or even revise the edits. So instead of what you might think about as you're like in a text document or email or something like that, as you make those changes, you're basically replacing the information. In non-destructive editing, you're essentially kind of layering the information. So the original is never changed. That's true for a RAW or a JPEG. So if you are uh, doing any kind of non-destructive, the original is never touched. The edits are basically stored as a series of... Think of it as like uh, it's like slider positions. Oh, exposure has been added by you know one stop, or white balance has been changed to this degree, or whatever. And so the application stores that information as a series of instructions, and then plays it back by taking the original file and then applying the adjustments one at a time. And it stores that edited information separately from the original. So at any time you can go back, look at those steps, change them, enhance them, or even throw them all away. Now, this is the case with Apple Photos because Apple stores your photos in a database and it allows you to make these edits non-destructively. But if I open a photo at random with Pixelmator, Luminar, Affinity Photo, that's not the case. Since it's not using a digital asset manager, it's just working on that one photo. Now, I do have the option of save as or export and keeping the original. Um, but by default, the way you manipulate files, those are changes like, as you say, to a text file. Right. It generally overwrites them. Some of these apps have project files and things like that. But the normal thing is you open a JPEG and you hit Command S and it's going to rewrite the JPEG. That also means you find yourself dealing with multiple files, which becomes its own pain because now you're a file manager instead of just a photo editor. 
And it can get quite messy over time as you've got multiple versions or revisions of the file and figure out which one is which. It also chews up a ton of disk space because if you're making those as TIFFs to maintain maximum quality, those files are huge. They can be hundreds of megabytes per file. And with a non-destructive editor, none of that's really stored as multiple versions, just the original, the edits, and then maybe you know uh, a version of the final render. Right. That's generally a thumbnail version, right? Or a quick look um, thumbnail. Is that what it is? Yeah. Now in photos, um, it will store a full-size JPEG of your edits uh, as well. And the reason they do that is so that when you're uh, if you're sharing it or printing it or sending it to another application, it's the f- every single pixel is there instead of a downrest copy. So when you uh, edit in photos, it will save a full-size JPEG and then some thumbnails and some other sizes so that you have all these different ones to work with for different uses, like in the grid or, or to print. Okay. So Apple Photos has um, a small menu, which is a circle with three dots in it. If you're looking at a photo, you look in the top right of the toolbar and it says extensions. And if you click it, it's going to display any apps that you have installed on your Mac that are set up to be extensions. So in my case, I've got Affinity, I've got Pixelmator, Lumina, and Raw Power. Um, some apps show multiple extensions. Affinity splits theirs into things like Affinity Develop, Affinity Miniature, Affinity Monochrome. Um, all the other apps I have are just single apps. So what happens when I select one of those from the Photos toolbar? So a couple of things happen. The first thing that happens is that the uh, the extension is running inside of photos from the standpoint of the user interface, uh, where photos will then talk to the extension and ask it some questions about basically what it can handle, because you can have video extensions or photo extensions. So it asks them those questions. And then it will send the file to edit to the extension. It may send one of two files. It'll either send the original file or it will send a rendered JPEG um, that has any previous edits applied to it. So that's kind of the first branch in this discussion is whether the extension is going to receive the original or it's going to receive a JPEG. And by original, it can be a raw, it could be a JPEG, it could be a TIFF, it could be the new Heath format, any of those could get sent to the extension. Okay, so if you have made any changes to a raw file, then Photos is going to send a JPEG to an extension. Right. That includes even rotation. So if you rotate the image, uh, you know, because it's shot horizontally or it, it didn't, the, the sensor didn't detect that properly, um, it will then, instead of saying the raw, it will send the JPEG. And it does that because it wants to send to the editor exactly what you, the user, saw inside photos. It's got to be the same thing. So they always will send the rendered image if it's ever been touched in the editor. That doesn't include favoriting, keywords, any of that stuff. Only if you make you know, changes the edit instructions. And extensions always send JPEGs back. Okay, so if you have made any changes to a photo in Photos and you want to get the best quality to an extension to maybe make the same changes but differently, what you could do is right-click on a photo and choose Duplicate, open the second photo, click Revert to Original, and that wipes off all the changes, and then open it in an extension. So you could, for example, do some black and white adjustments in Photos and then open Raw Power and do some black and white adjustments to compare what the two programs can do. Right. You could do that. It's definitely possible to use the duplicate command in order to uh, have kind of a versioning sort of system to see the before and after or to use two different editors and compare the results of them. You can definitely use that system for for that purpose. Okay. So 
Photos extensions, what can they do and what can't they do? Um, well, so photos extensions are fundamentally designed to edit one image at a time. Um, and other than that, they don't really have any real restrictions. They can apply any kind of adjustments they want to. Um, and the only requirements are that they be able to send back a JPEG, that full-size JPEG that represents the result of their edits. Uh, and, you know, that's kind of it. Uh, they can't really do a lot with metadata. They can't, like, you couldn't use one to uh, necessarily add captioning and stuff like that. That's not allowed through the photo editing API. That stuff is ignored when it comes back. Okay. So the advantage here is that when you use a photo's extension, um, you're passing off a photo from the photos app. Now, I like using the photos app. I like the way it manages my photos, puts them in the cloud, makes them available on all my devices. And for me, it's often a bit of a problem to have to take a photo, go into an editor, export it, and bring it back. So this means that I can have the best of both worlds, right? Right. You can use the photos editing tools, which there are some very nice ones, uh, when you want. And then if you say, oh, you know, uh, Affinity or uh, Pixelmator or Raw Power, any of those that has its own set of tools, you like that one better, on an image-by-image basis, you can pick just that extension and say, I'm, for this image, I'm going to do that thing, or I'm going to combine these tools together. What's also nice about extensions is that um, I think all of them, or or maybe most of them, all load within the photos uh, environment. So it's not like you're jumping out to an external uh, program, even though you sort of are because you're using that program's tools. But at least for someone who wants that simplicity, you're still working in the same window, the same photos application as you were before, which I think is also nice just in terms of, of simplicity's sake. I also want to point out that uh, for people who don't know, uh, these photos extensions, to activate them, um, usually when you install an application that has an extension, it will handle all this for you, I believe. But the the place to get this done is there's an extensions preference pane in system preferences. And under photos editing, that's where these things get enabled or disabled. It's not you know, don't go searching for it in photos preferences because that's not where they're located. Right. So the the two big wins of extensions are that, uh, as you said, Jeff, the one thing is you're working inside the photos app. You're not switching to another application. The whole you know world doesn't change on you. And the second thing is that the integration is very tight. So not only is the photos app sending back that JPEG, it's also sending back those editing instructions. And all that stuff is being stored in the photo library. If you use an external application, then you're dealing with separate documents or maybe destructive editing or whatever. But inside a photo extension, it's inherently non-destructive. So when you make those changes, the instructions, as I said, things like, you know, changing exposure or noise reduction or whatever, those things get stored in the library. And then when you can go back in that same extension, you can continue non-destructive editing inside the extension. So so that's a having both of those works and all those editing instructions sync over iCloud. But is this the case for all apps that work as photos extensions? I thought only some of them actually do that, saving the actual edit instructions. Yeah, you're right, Kirk. The the Apple uh, when they design the system for that, they allow extensions to store their editing instructions back in the library, but developers are not obligated to do that, and so some of them don't. 
And so there's not, it's not a guarantee that you can non-destructively edit with a photos extension, um, but Apple does enable that to occur so that you do have that ability. So you'd have to look at your specific extension to see if they actually support that. Right. And the way to do that is open a photo in an extension, make some edits, close it, open it again in the extension and see if the sliders that you've moved have still moved or if they're in the center. That's exactly right. Okay. So there is another option. I'm just going to close now the window that I had opened with a file in raw power from photos. And there's another option. Sometimes apps offer an edit with option. And this is totally different, isn't it? Yes. So edit with uh, is a separate thing. And in fact, you can kind of tell it's different because it's not even available inside the photos editing UI. It's outside of it. So it's essentially an alternative to edit in photos. And so what it's designed to do is give people the ability to use their photo library, but then connect that to an external application that doesn't support extensions. So an application like Photoshop, that would be an obvious example of that. They don't have an extension. And so you pick a photo in photos, and instead of going to edit, you go to edit with, and then pick that application. And when you do that, photos will send an image to that other other um, application. But there's a couple of very important differences. The first thing is it's not going to send you the original to the other application. It's going to make a copy of it, or in some cases, it's going to actually convert the image. So in edit with, you cannot send a raw to an external application with edit with. What Photos will do is it will make a TIFF and send the TIFF to the other application. And then the other application will edit it like Photoshop. You'll, you'll you know, do whatever you want to in Photoshop. And when you hit save, it'll write over that TIFF. You lose the non-destructive ability and you lose the raw stuff. But on the other hand, it works with any application that can edit images. Now, TIFF files contain a lot of information. Can you briefly explain like how a TIFF file and a RAW file would differ? Because you're basically getting all the pixels, right? But what gets lost in that translation? Right. So a TIFF can be a high-resolution file. Um, the difference between a RAW and a TIFF is that a RAW has not been processed. So it's kind of, it's much closer to what the camera sensor captured than the TIFF, which is essentially the output of the entire RAW decoding process. And so it will look good, but it is the output of that RAW decoder. So for example, if you wanted to use Uh, Adobe's raw decoder instead of Apple's, you can't use edit with for that purpose because Adobe will not receive the raw. So you're getting whatever Apple's decoded and you have no control over that decode. For example, in, you know, in ACR, you can change the, the, the output of the decode. Well, you can't do that when you have the TIFF. It's already processed the image. And that also removes some of the options like uh, raw sharpening and some of the other things that are inherent in raw that decoders take care of. So like you can't get sort of an extra benefit to uh, sharpening the raw file that happens in the raw decode. You're just left with however it got sharpened when it was created as a TIFF, right? Right. And there are certain operations that are absolutely best done, as you mentioned, at the raw decoding stage. Certain things like sharpening, uh, moiré, noise reduction, uh, and just overall control over the extended information in a raw, all that stuff has to is get gets done once 
before you have any control over it and then shipped over as a giant TIFF. And also, depending on what camera you shoot with, there are a lot of raw profiles that get stored in the file or are available to it. So, for example, in the, the Fuji uh, images that Kirk and I both create, there are different profiles. So you can say, like, I want this to be the Fuji standard or I want this to be the Fuji portrait. Um, there are all sorts of other, you know, Canon has a, a ton. And you basically lose access to all of that. Right, right. Yeah. So edit with is really designed to make it possible for photos to serve as a hub for dealing with uh, all kinds of other applications that deal with images. But it's really a poor edit with is just, it's just a bad choice to use if you're doing with raw because the all most of the benefits of raw are just lost in the process of going to edit with. Um, one other thing I uh, wanted to mention is when you use extensions, extensions are best used. Uh, as a single extension on an image uh, if you're shooting raw. So when you're shooting raw, it's best to use only photos to edit or only an extension to edit. If you combine photos and an extension or two extensions, you'll be editing a JPEG in that second extension. And so there's a quality loss that occurs there uh, and compression and things like that. So you do want to keep an eye on chaining together tools if you're shooting raw. It would be like making a photocopy of a photocopy if people remember what photocopies are. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> After all this, I think everyone listening would like to have a break with a little bit of our theme music and think about what Nick has just explained. And then we'll come back and we'll get into something even a little bit more complicated. Okay, we hope you've all had coffee, scotch, aspirin, or whatever you need to get over that. Um, we want to go a little bit further now and talk about what happens when you're finished working with a RAW file. Um, when you export a RAW file from a Photos app, it's no longer a RAW file, right? You can export a TIFF, a PNG, a JPEG, but you can't edit a RAW file and export a RAW file. That's exactly right. So uh, a RAW file is, is, is a source format only so it can record the original image, but you cannot edit a RAW and then produce a RAW. You can, as you said, you can generate you know, TIFFs and JPEGs and PNGs. You can do all, all kinds of things. But the one thing you cannot do is produce another RAW. You, you can store the edits in a RAW, but that's not the same thing. That's just storing the slider positions. That's not storing the actual data as, you know, um, mosaic bare data, which is what a raw file is. So that is what the, the one thing you cannot do. But there are some little subtleties that we can talk about. Um, I, I hear of people who, you know, the, they'll do a photo shoot and a client will say, do I get the raw images? And they don't really know what they're asking for. They think they're getting the negatives. In almost all cases, a photographer would say, no, you don't want the raw files because what I'm going to give you is what's going to be the edited version. And, you know, the raw files may be underexposed. They, they, they could be terrible. Um, but I, I think where some people get confused is DNG, the DNG file format is kind of a raw because in some cases, some cameras shoot RAW as DNG. If you are using an app on your iPhone that supports RAW output, it creates a DNG. And I think that's where people get confused. So 
How does that work? Right. So there, DNG is, is, is a powerful format because it's going to hold different types of image data. So one type of image data can hold is raw image data, but it can also hold data that's been uh, basically processed from the raw in, in a, something called a linearized DNG. And so that's already been raw decoded. And so a DNG, there's different kinds of things that all are called DNG. So an iPhone, if you shoot an image with an iPhone using a camera that shoots raw, it produces a DNG, and that DNG does contain raw data. However, you can also get from somebody or produce with DNG Converter or other applications a DNG that's already been uh, decoded. It'll be much larger. That's one way to tell. It's way bigger. Uh, and then that does not contain raw data anymore. So sometimes people will say, well, I've got a raw, but I was I produced a DNG and it's still raw after my edits. What they actually have is they took their raw, they edited the image, and then their application produced a linearized DNG that has been uh, had all the raw data decoded, the adjustments applied, and burned into the image. And so that's the confusion is that DNG can store two different types of image data in the same extension and container. I think what's worth pointing out is that a raw file is not an image. It's data that needs to be interpreted as an image. So, for example, um, if a new camera comes out, your raw converting app may not support the raw files that the camera um, is creating or your Mac may not support them because information has to be added to the apps um, in order to be able to read this data. So the data itself is not an image. It's just data that needs to be converted one way or another. So if we're on a Mac and you put a raw file into the finder and you select it and press the space bar, you're going to get a quick look image. And that's your Mac, which is on the fly converting the raw to something that's visible. Um, when you put it in a Photos app uh, or any other photo editor, it's going to convert the raw. So the raw itself just isn't really an image ever, right? It's not an image in the sense that we would view it. Yes, exactly. And it's not attractive looking. It's it's not in a format that's uh, that's viewed. And as you said, uh, when a new camera comes out, there's work that has to be done to support that. Unlike JPEGs, which are universal, they always look the same. And every every uh, decoder produces a slightly different looking RAW from the same input image. That's another way you can tell that RAWs aren't really images is they are produced through you know algorithms and math that produces an, an image and every decoder is different. Whereas every JPEG, a JPEG looks the same everywhere. Okay. One last thing we're going to talk about, and here we're going to let you talk about your um, Raw Power 3, which is coming out soon, because it is now possible to have an app that integrates with Apple's Photos library on the Mac to edit photos and to send them back to the library instead of what we were talking about extensions where you're actively selecting okay this photo goes here you can now open the photos library as if you have a different front end for the same database and collection of photos exactly right so this has been possible on ios for a while which has allowed applications and there, there's not many of them but there are a few raw power on ios is one of them today uh, that can serve as, as you said, as a different front end to the photo library. So you can use the built-in photos app for your photo library or an alternate app, which can look at all the same albums and make edits and everything else. 
on iOS in particular, for example, you will see apps interact with photos two different ways. One is when you want to bring up a picture, it'll bring a, a chooser, which shows you kind of a vertical list of you know, favorites and all photos or, or what have you, and you pick a photo or maybe a couple. Whereas then that's kind of just a little picker. Some apps give you the entire view of the library as their complete experience. And so any change you make actually applies the photo library, gets synced through iCloud and all that kind of stuff. Now, as I said, that's been true on iOS for a while. Catalina on the Mac is the first OS on the Mac that provides that same function in a fully supported way. So for years, applications have kind of had their own sort of ways of of uh, you know kind of poking at the photo databases and stuff on their own. That's never been supported. It's always been a little sketchy or very sketchy. Mm-hmm. Um, and now in Catalina, Apple's taken that same framework on iOS and brought it to the Mac. And so applications that uh, want to do the work can provide an, an alternate front end. So Raw Power 3, which is about to enter beta, has that ability. So you'll be able to see all of your albums, all of your photos, make edits, make albums, and all that stuff goes directly in the photo library. What's nice is you get two different ways. With extensions, as Jeff said, you get that in-photos app experience where you can choose your tools and pick different apps and kind of go back and forth that way. But it's only good for one image at a time. It gets very clunky to provide multiple, uh, to do multiple edits that way. With an application that has full photo library access, then you can do things like, you know, batch processing, apply presets to a bunch of images at once. Or, you know, if you want to, or if that application adds additional features on top of the photo library, you get all of those things. Uh, they can do things like add metadata or stuff like that in, in limited ways to the photo library. So that's an, yet another way of interacting with the library and editing images in addition to the ones we talked about already. And so that's going to be a very powerful way for people who want to really work with their library um, outside of the Photos app, but not have to maintain uh, separate copies or separate worlds. It's your same photo library All's connected over iCloud. Everything syncs. Everything's great. I'm sure we'll see some of this in the future, but it's true that with other apps, that, and as we've discussed in, in recent episodes, Luminar and, and Pixelmator, they're focused on machine learning and AI. Maybe they're less interested in something like that, which is more specifically linked to the way you manage your photos. Um, I remember when we were talking about Luminar, and one of the complaints people have about Luminar is it doesn't offer a digital asset manager. But does anyone need to make a separate digital asset manager now if they can do what you're doing, basically piggybacking on top of the photos library. Yeah, I think that's a good point. And I mean, I get uh, emails from people a lot asking for exactly what you're saying, which is a digital asset manager. And, you know, my answer to them has been the same, which is making a digital asset manager, a basic one is very easy, but a full-fledged one that scales to hundreds of thousands or millions of images is fast you know, sinks over the cloud, that's extremely difficult and has killed more companies than have actually succeeded in doing it. And so rather than do that, uh, I feel the best thing to do is to piggyback on Apple's technology. They've got great engineers doing this. Let them do all that work and let everyone use the library that they already have. Instead of creating yet another container that's some proprietary thing, use the one that's built into the platform and works with your phone and everything else. That seems to make a lot more sense. 
Okay, Nick, thank you very much. This was all a little bit complicated. I think if anyone's a little bit lost, go back and listen to it again. Um, Because there are a lot of concepts that came up throughout the episode that it's better to know about back in the beginning. Um, So I I think if you're going to stick with Apple Photos and do nothing else, then working with the extensions is important to know how they work. But I particularly like the ability now to have an app that goes on top of the photos library that gives me more power yet doesn't sort of change my habit of how I store photos. Well, and for me personally, the the whole extensions versus edit with, I don't know how many times I have run into that and done it the wrong way and then been confused about why. I mean, you know, Kirk, you and I, like, we should know this because this we is should. what we do. And yeah. yet you go to edit with because you're you're trained to look in menus. Like, oh, well, hey, look, there's there's uh, Rob Howard, there's Luminar, there's whatever. And then you don't get what you want. So, uh, Nick, thank you so much for clarifying all this. And I hope people, you know, at the very least now better understand the structure because it's, it's fascinating what's going on here. And I think a lot of people just aren't aware of it because – it's supposed to be seamless to the user. And then the user ends up with something that they didn't quite expect and they figure, oh, well, maybe the extension is broken or maybe I didn't do it right. Okay, Nick, thanks very much. And we look forward to talking to you again in the future. Sounds great, guys. Okay, time for our snapshots. Jeff, what have you got? So I have something very different. Um, We all have lots of little uh, lens cloths. Right. I imagine you probably have, you know, a dozen or so lying around. And the thing about the lens cloths are they get dirty because you're cleaning things off, Uh, whether it's, you know, your eyeglasses, your lenses, uh, laptop screens. And it's always frustrated me that, like, you can wash these, but what are you going to do? Toss one into the, the wash and you'll never see it again. And so my snapshot is is a little uh different. Um, It's to get little mesh bags that are normally used for holding bras or underwear, things that you want to keep in one place and maybe pull out uh, before you put it in the dryer. They're super cheap. It's like I'm looking at a set of uh, looks like seven bags of different sizes for $9 on Amazon. I think this will just make me actually grab all of these little lens cloths that I have lying around everywhere, throw them in the wash, and then have actual clean ones because what I tend to do is I'll grab a cloth and I'll clean off my lens and I'll realize that the cloth is actually worse than the lens and I want to do something about that and not always use the the disposable ones. I tend to wash them in the kitchen sink. Oh, there you go. But the problem is that they never really clean the same way afterwards. You know, there's something about the the kitchen dishwashing soap that doesn't yeah. wash them right. And so the microfibers turn into like micro felt. You need to rub it on a cat afterwards. Yes. That's, that's the way. <laughs> Actually, I should use my cat to clean my lens. <laughs> Just grab a cat. <laughs> Take a cat tail and yeah, no, I'm not going to do that. No, 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 probably not. Hopefully you have a better snapshot than grabbing a cat. <laughs> <laughs> well, now that you mentioned it, I was kind of, th- that could be an interesting, no, no, I have a book. <laughs> um, I have a book. It's called Zen Camera, Creative Awakening with a Daily Practice in Photography. Ooh. It's written by David Ulrich. Um, David Ulrich studied with Minor White, who was one of the big photographers of the middle of the 20th century. 
Essentially, this is a kind of self-teaching book. It's got six lessons, and they're entitled Observation, Awareness, Identity, Practice, Mastery, and Presence. And it's a kind of book, it's not about, you know, how to use sliders in, in Lightroom. It's about all of the stuff in between your ears that you need for photography and kind of what we talked about in our last episode, you know, how do you choose what to shoot? You're developing your eye, you're developing your attention and your perception. Um, it's really interesting. It, it's, it's a funny book. I started reading it last year and I didn't get too far because it's the kind of thing where you need to pay attention to in the sense that you should set yourself up to go through a lesson every couple of weeks, for example. Um, you can't just dip in and dip out. It's not that kind of thing. It, the whole point is to kind of create a program. Now, I have to say there's something that I don't particularly like about this book, and it's the use of the word Zen in the title. Um, the author says, I will be using language drawn from the Zen tradition. I am not part of a Zen lineage, but my own photography teacher, Minor White, studied Zen extensively and integrated it into the classroom. I use the word throughout these pages to indicate the spirit of Zen rather than a comprehensive teaching. Well, since I am part of a Zen lineage personally, I always find it annoying when someone uses the word like that, like, you know, Zen yogurt or whatever. <laughs> um, and, and I think that he could have chosen a better term for the title. Um, but I'm not going to pick too much about that. Uh, he does seem sincere. It is an interesting approach. It's, it's a book about teaching you how to see rather than teaching you how to make photographs. I can totally see how uh, a book publisher would be like, hey, it's short, it's punchy, it's got a Z. I'm sorry, a Z. And <laughs> <laughs> depending on where you are. Uh, but no, I agree that anything that's going to help you think about your photos and see in different ways, uh, always good for photography. And a lot of the photos in the book are somewhat minimalist. And uh, I guess that's kind of where he's heading with the use of the term Zen. Um, so it's not a book for people who want to shoot fancy landscapes in color. Um, most of the examples are in black and white. It's not a book for people who want to shoot portraits. It's really a book for, let's call it slow photography. That's probably, in fact, that would probably even have been a better title, slow photography. One last thing. In episode 60, we talked to Andreas Gayunis of Pixelmator Pro, and we promised that we would be giving away five registration codes for Pixelmator Pro. We've chosen those codes rather than name a bunch of names right now. Uh, we will put them in the next photoactive newsletter when we're announcing this episode. So if you are not yet subscribed to the Photoactive newsletter, uh, we use it just to announce episodes and we use it to pick names for giveaways and things like this. Um, go to photoactive.co and you can sign up on any page. And congratulations to the people who got that. And we hope to have more similar things in the future. Okay, Jeff, this is great. We'll see you again in two weeks. Talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to Photoactive. You can find show notes, including any photos we discuss in this episode, at photoactive.co. That's photoactive.co. We couldn't afford the M. You can join our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash photoactivecast. That's photoactivecast in one word. You can subscribe to Photoactive in your favorite podcast app or on Apple Podcasts. See the links on our website. And think about leaving us a rating or review in iTunes or in your podcast.